Welcome to the Power in the Pandemic podcast. You're listening to the Power in the Pandemic podcast. I'm your host, Maria. Throughout the upcoming weeks and months, PowerShift's project is partnering with the Oxfam In-Depth podcast to share the experiences of people living through the coronavirus pandemic. We'll be hearing from people across the world as they tell us how the virus is affecting their lives and how their communities are organizing to tackle the effects of this crisis. Each episode will weave together different voices on different topics, from how migrant communities and island nations are facing up to the crisis, to the ways in which sexual and reproductive health rights are under attack. Before the pandemic, young people were actively and very loudly putting pressure on governments and decision makers to invest in a greener future, one that is just and acknowledges the hard work that must be done to achieve brave and radical policies. Young people are still doing the work, moving the activism online and using the tools at their disposal to amplify their voices, reaching more and more unengaged populations and keeping the pressure on decision makers. We have an opportunity to work with like-minded organizations companies, and local groups to innovate and imagine something completely outside of the box because these times are unprecedented and creative ideas are absolutely necessary. Hi, it's Maria, your host. Today we're sharing a collection of young voices from around the world, all facing the same virus, but responding and reacting to the particular needs of their communities in different ways. You'll hear from young people in Bangladesh, Ethiopia, Pakistan, and Italy. At the start, you heard from Lourdes in Canada, talking about young people shaping a post-pandemic world. We'll hear more from her at the end of the episode. But first, let's take a deep dive into what we mean by youth, which doesn't refer to one homogenous group, yet it is often written off as one. Can we think of youth as more than just a demographic constituency based on age as the only factor? How can we begin to even think about power in young people? Because in the formal sense, to be young is to have very little power. Young people are culturally viewed as naive, politically excluded from institutional participation, and marginalized from economic resources. Young people can sometimes be perceived as unconcerned about their communities, and especially throughout the last few months, they've been labeled as one of the main groups spreading COVID, being more lax with precautions, and not caring much about the virus, as they can often be asymptomatic carriers. However, we've seen that across different countries, some of the first responders were actually youth organizations. They've been facing the needs and challenges of both rural and urban contexts. For example, how economic losses have affected their families as well as their own employment prospects. Because what we're seeing is an important intersection between high youth unemployment and struggling economies coupled with coronavirus. But then also how their education has been negatively impacted and some gender differentiated effects such as the increase of domestic violence that we've seen. In this episode, we hear from young people who have taken action in their towns and cities, tackling complex issues in a way that big donors and governments can't always manage to do. Under pressure, demands normally seen as radical, such as decentralizing governance and moving resources to grassroots groups really quickly, are actually becoming a necessity and also require flexible structures. So this makes us think about how adaptable our societal structures are to change in real terms. With the structures in our society shifting, it may be time to ask who gets to shape society and dominant ideas. Are we actually allowing ourselves to be challenged by a new generation? 
how are young people reclaiming power and using their mobility and digital knowledge to their community's advantage? And how can we take these lessons from crisis to our post-COVID world? First, we'll hear from Pakistan. The country went into an early and strict lockdown with travel restrictions. But by the end of May, Imran Khan, the prime minister, stated the lockdown was not a solution in Pakistan, as two-thirds of the country rely on daily earned wages. Prior to the pandemic, Pakistan was already struggling with really high youth unemployment and economic challenges. We're about to hear from two young Pakistanis, Mab and Saif, who live in South Pakistan and are part of their local youth advisory boards with the Empower Youth for Work program. Mab lives in the small southern city of Kotri, and Saif lives just north of Kotri in the city of Yamshoro. Working within their communities, Mab and Saif have been trying to engage with their communities through different technologies. My name is Mab Fatima. I belong to Kotri City, a very small town in Pakistan. I'm a youth leader and an innovator for the Empower Youth for Work project. I'm doing my bachelor's in business administration from the University of Synth in Jamshoro. Coronavirus was an unexpected and rapid thing for us to handle. Our country has never experienced any such virus or a lockdown before. It is extremely difficult for people to stay at home while there is also a major issue of poverty. We are trying to stay at home, but the daily wages of our community have to go outside to earn their bread. At the beginning of the lockdown, I collected some data which showed that daily wages make up 60% of the community. If people don't go out to earn money, it could lead to deaths due to hunger. Because of the economic crisis in Pakistan, the lockdown has been stalled. Our youth are also risking their health by going outside and collecting donations for those people who are staying inside and are unable to earn money. When the lockdown took effect, all the interactive sessions I ran were stopped and we had to stay home. Being a youth leader, I had to rethink how I would support young people who may be feeling anxious and depressed during this time. Me and my friend Saif Ali started doing interactive sessions through Zoom. We gave sessions on the current situation of the pandemic crisis. We conducted sessions on how to deal with it and asked about people's experiences and struggles during this time. The importance of technology has grown since the pandemic. As I mentioned earlier, I belong to a very small town in Pakistan where people are unaware about technology and the advancements in communication. So with the help of technology, I'm trying to interact with people from different places to learn about their experiences while dealing with a pandemic and coping to survive. I'm trying my best to let people in my village know about the importance of technology in this lockdown. I have hope that the virus will go away if I stay inside and act responsibly. I'm not giving up hope and I'm trying my best to stay connected to the members of my community. Another negative effect of the pandemic is the mental well-being of people. There's also a lot of dark, grim news on TV. Some of the news channels are spreading fake news, which is dangerous for people to believe as they put themselves at risk. They are unable to divert their minds from it. Fake news is a big issue. People should be more careful and mindful before sharing fake news with others. We should educate ourselves on which news is worth reading or watching, and if we are unsure, we should refrain from sharing or forwarding it to others. It really destroys the peace of mind of others. Personally, social media has become the best source for getting news. I appreciate social media for empowering me with the latest news simply by scrolling through my newsfeed. But simultaneously, social media has become a place where I can just be as equally misinformed. 
and worse yet, I too have been guilty of sharing news that I later found out to be fake. My name is Saif Ali. I recently completed my Masters in Sociology and I live in Jamshora in the province of Sindh in Pakistan. I'm working as an innovator and a youth leader under the Empower Youth for Work project. The ongoing corona crisis has been very challenging for all of us, living in these strange times when everybody is facing a double-edged sword. On one hand is the pandemic, and on the other hand is the economic crisis that has hit us all very badly. Despite these problems, my community and I are strictly following governmental policy that has been made to deal with the situation. Social distancing comes at a great price for everyone, especially those who live in large families and in small villages. Through our community leaders, we have arranged special seminars to educate them on the buzzwords and the basic precautions. People are now finding new ways to get by. The medium of education is now the internet. People are switching their businesses to digital spaces and people have come up with new ideas to cope with the crisis. The events, seminars, training sessions and workshops that we used to arrange in rooms are now held online once or twice a week. We arrange training sessions online through Zoom where all our youth group members participate actively. We have also helped people from rural areas in our community by registering them on the government sites so they can be informed of what government announcements are. Our committee members also help people of several villages register for government benefit programmes. This has been successful. The Youth Advisory Board have also arranged blood donation camps for thalassemia patients in collaboration with a non-governmental social welfare organisation. The blood camp was arranged at my home as president of YAB. All the members except two or three donated blood and we collected almost 25 blood bags for those patients amidst the lockdown. We made safety our top priority and asked the donors to wear masks and fulfilled all the necessary precautions. The global pandemic has brought the world on its knees, as if all the things have come to a halt. But in the midst of this terrible despair, we still hope and believe that they'll pass this phase and we all will be back to our routines. Similar to Pakistan, Bangladesh lifted its two-month lockdown at the end of May due to the economic challenges that the lockdown posed. Now that they're out of lockdown, Bangladesh is seeing a big spike in coronavirus cases. We spoke to Monzoor, Sharmin, and Nazrul, who are also working with the Empower Youth for Work program in Bangladesh. The three of them share the current challenges facing rural communities and the actions they're taking to tackle them, as well as some new forms of action that have emerged during this critical time. We'll hear how they're working with local authorities to spread information about social distancing and handing out masks and leaflets to different community members. First, they introduce themselves and share the challenges facing their communities during lockdown. Hello, I am Munjirawan Shakib, lives in Rashahi and doing my master's on information and technology science. I am a youth member of Union Apex Body. Hello, I am Sh- Sharmin Sultana Mukta, lives in Borishal, district of Bangladesh. Currently, I am doing my master's, a youth reporter and member of work group. Hi, I am Nadir Islam from Bangladesh. I am a youth volunteer. Government tried to deal with situations, but still there is some lack of coordination in rural areas. Dealing with situations is new to everyone, including government. So it needs to be more organized and impactful. Recent cyclone Amphan 
डिस्ट्रेट द लास्ट रे ऑफ होप एज द क्रोप लाइफ स्टॉक हाउस हैज बीन डैमेज्ड इन कम्युनिटी मेनी पीपल हैव नॉट एनफ फूड एज दे लॉस्ट देयर रनिंग सिचुएशन स्टूडेंट आर हैविंग प्रॉब्लम टू कंप्लीटेड देयर एकेडमिक ईयर ऑनलाइन एजुकेशन सिस्टम फुल्ली नॉट अप्लाइड इन रूरल कॉन्टेस्ट डोमेस्टिक वायलेंस हैज इंटरेस्टेड in some places around my community some big challenges have been the devastating effects of cyclone ampan the increase in domestic violence and lack of governmental coordination in distributing resources from the very start the group have been actively distributing leaflets and sharing information with other community members to fight against corona me and my group members work together to make people awareness about the virus we have done miking through van around the community share leaflets ensure social distance and home quarantines for those who come from other side of the country share updates with local government about movement of community people the main challenges are to ensure food for all maintain social distance at public space we distribute max soaps leaflets to marginalized people of our community people need to listen and follow the instruction carefully because only a person himself and herself can protect from virus Despite the challenges that the coronavirus pandemic poses, Monzur and Sharman have seen some encouraging things that are emerging. The positive side of this virus is nature is getting healed, pollution is reduced, people spending more more times with family. Also, people are more aware about personal hygiene and social manners. people are getting adapt in online communications next we'll hear from young ethiopians molid and mohammed early interventions around hand washing temperature checks and public messaging before march have meant that there've been really low rates of infection and there's been no lockdown in ethiopia but still there's many challenges to re- ensure that the numbers remain low geopolitics supply chains fake news and reaching rural communities are issues that affect these communities hand washing is one of the most effective ways to mitigate contagion so what is it like to run a soap factory during the coronavirus pandemic when the simple yet effective commodity is in such high demand we'll hear from molid the manager of kafia liquid soap factory on the border between somaliland and ethiopia we'll also hear from mohammed a community conversation facilitator in Ethiopia who's been leading discussions and giving guidance to his community during the pandemic. Ojinko Matolola Halamijista Marihawasa. My name is Mohamed Dema. I live in Rafu Hagesa, Kabuls of Najila district, and I'm a community conversations facilitator in Kabuls. Due to the current situation of COVID-19, Our community is living in a very confused condition. The biggest challenge in our community is that people are not changing their behavior. 
especially social distancing. The other problem is that half of the community assume that the problem of COVID-19 hasn't occurred in Ethiopia. And the government is just raising COVID-19 for political advantages. What we are trying to do is help the community protect themselves from COVID-19 by using the advice from health experts as much as possible. We are using a simple strategy by communicating through Kabul's task force. We have prepared a regular schedule with them where we do house-to-house visits and carry awareness within our community. To some extent, the community showed changes, but asking them to keep their distance is still hard to adapt in a rural community. If awareness creation on COVID-19 symptoms and prevention mechanisms were properly disclosed to all people, especially in rural communities, and adapted to their context, the spread could be slowed in our country. My name is Maulid Abdesemid Al Musa. I live in Togwajale City. I'm the manager of Kafia Liquid Soap Factory. Currently, we are facing a lot of challenges from different sides. We have a shortage of chemical supplies to use for soap production. It's challenging our enterprise. However, we are not giving up. We have set up water and soap stations on the street for the community to wash their hands as they pass by. At the same time, we have created awareness-raising platforms and taught the society that the best way to protect themselves from the virus is to wash their hands. We have also donated hand sanitizer to the city's administration to be distributed to poorer people. We have donated over 48 litres of sanitizer to the refugees displaced from Kaloji, who now live here in Togwajali city. And we did the same to our Bere town refugee camp. We have also distributed hand sanitizer at the police station and health care centers for free. In addition to this, we took the loudspeakers to outdoor and populous areas of the city to raise awareness and sell our products at a discounted price to benefit our society. The main thing we can contribute to the community is to teach them, in collaboration with the government and religious leaders, that washing hands is one of the best ways to prevent this disease. Some community members are skeptical of hygiene and hand washing as a prevention mechanism. As a result, we have set up awareness creation forums in collaboration with the mosques and the government. The first thing we hope is that Allah will clear out this disease from the world. The other hope we have is that more NGOs will intervene in our area. Currently, the price of our input chemicals has increased, but we hope that the prices will go down. We understand that the only thing that can save us today is frequent hand washing. So if the prices of chemicals continues to increase, we won't be able to increase the selling price of the product since the community is poor. Selling our products for a high price will harm the community. This might lead to our business collapsing. All we hope for is that everything will become normal and as it was before the outbreak. In Europe and North America, this virus has shown the cracks in organizations, infrastructures, and welfare systems in countries that are deemed wealthy and powerful. It has both magnified and visibilized existing social and economic issues. So this forces us to ask, once we've seen all the cracks, what kind of world do we want to create? 
Hi everyone, I'm Martina Gambardella and I live in Florence, Italy. I'm 20 years old and I decided to become a sound designer, but over the last three months I couldn't attend my classes because of the lockdown. Lots of people have started to support their friends and families in need. Also strangers have started to help each other. Still today, when we go to the supermarket, there is a cart where you can leave or take some products based on your needing. It's called Spesa Sospesa. This name comes from Neapolitan old habit called fine coffee. Some clients can pay two coffees instead of one they take, so when a person in need comes to the cafe can ask for a flying coffin and take it. Many people started volunteering in local associations, providing basic goods, delivering drugs and taking out dogs for those who, due to their age or to the health condition, couldn't take care of themselves. This is what I want to talk about. Italy was already facing a huge crisis, with serious unemployment rates and a lot of debts, more than 150% of public debts. This additional crisis caused by Covid knocked down Italy and every sector of production. Still a lot of people exploited, such as the raiders of agricultural workers. In both cases, mainly migrants, who without any individual disposal offered by the employers, have been growing and delivering the food we put on our tables. Migration became a political issue even during the pandemic. Agriculture trade unions went on a strike asking for Italian residents permit to workers to be able to register in the national health system and make their labor right visible. It's true, agriculture and breeding are sectors that we will always need for food, but it's also true that the demand for this good has decreased a lot during the quarantine, and many workers have lost their jobs. The problem is that many workers in the sector of agriculture are exploited and many of them are migrants that have accepted to stay under the mafia to survive for their family or dears. Being underpaid, not being registered as a worker make you impossible to lay off. Populist political parties were against the measure screaming that during such economic crisis those migrants were taking the jobs of Italians. But checking the numbers, Italians were not so eager to work in the fields, and anyway, even counting Italians and migrants together, the agriculture system was lacking more than 30% of its labor force that used to come from Eastern Europe for the summer season. But with the excuse of health priorities, the government passed a bill to guarantee the resident permit for a few months to all the migrants, with the possibility to apply for other measures. This was certainly a victory in the Italian pandemic. Bonjour tout le monde, je m'appelle Victoria, j'ai 21 ans et j'habite à Laval. Laval. My name is Victoria, I am 21 years old and I live in Laval. Laval is a city located in the greater Montreal area in the province of Quebec, Canada. When I am not studying full-time in my Bachelor's of Political Science at the University of Montreal, I'm working as an admin assistant at the Federal Deputy's Office. I also work as a manager in a theatre. Just like everywhere else in the world, COVID-19 has enormously affected Laval, especially our senior residents. One of the difficulties that we found in Quebec is that we need to find the available staff to work in senior residents' homes in order to take care of these vulnerable people. And because of the missing workforce, the patient-employee ratio becomes difficult for the workers involved. The issue of bad conditions in senior residents' homes, whether work-related or salary-related, is nothing new here in Quebec. COVID-19 has highlighted this reality in senior residents' homes. Every day, the media covers how workers and senior citizens are currently dealing with a challenging work condition and how these conditions affect them mentally. Which brings me to the biggest issue we have. 
which is how to manage loneliness, this new type of loneliness. As much for the elders as for the young people, we are finding ourselves isolated and confined. This isolation certainly affects our mental health, everyone's mental health. Personally, I'm someone who's very social, and from one day to the next, I'm finding myself very alone and isolated at home, not seeing people outside and worried when people approach me. Regarding the actions that have been accomplished by our society, the provincial and federal governments have tried their hardest to help Quebec and Canada's citizens. They've implemented grant programs and accelerated training programs for people to be able to have a job. The federal government gives $2,000 per month to help people pay their rent and their food, mainly for people who are the most affected by COVID-19, whether to the people who lost their job or who simply cannot work because of COVID-19. In addition, the provincial government is giving salary and wage premiums for those who are helping, in particular people working in senior residence homes and for any worker who is considered to be essential. Certainly, the arrival of summer in Quebec, and particularly with the heat wave that is hit, it has become difficult for people to stay in isolation. We want to go out and be outside. We don't want to stay at home anymore. It's not a good idea because eventually we'll fall into a second wave of COVID-19, accompanied by a second wave of confinement, and all will be affected by loneliness again. What brings me hope is the fact that I know that as a society we will band together and act as one. I know in the end we will all have learned a lot about this pandemic, and that our lifestyle and our public health system will change, be it for better access, being able to work from home, or having new appreciation for services and other essential workers. I'm someone that trusts society because I know that we all manage to overcome this pandemic together. My name is Lourdes. I am 30 years old. I live in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and I am Filipino-Canadian. I am a co-facilitator for Amplify Youth Voices a project in partnership with Apathy is Boring in Oxfam, Quebec. I also work part-time at a local grocery store. The pandemic has exacerbated many existing social and economic issues, but it has also created and strengthened the communities around me. Many people in my neighborhood have been stepping up, creating mutual aid groups, delivering essential goods, and checking in on their elderly neighbors. I have joined my provincial riding association to make checking calls to residents all over the riding to offer assistance. Sometimes I call folks who are living alone and we just chat about everyday things. It's been rewarding to be able to offer that small comfort in a time when things are very difficult. It's definitely been a restored faith in humanity type of experience. Seeing people help each other and filling in the gaps where government can be slow to respond or are overwhelmed by demand. Emergency subsidies have been incredibly helpful, but these measures feel like a band-aid on a deep wound. The local efforts being coordinated by neighbors isn't a long-term fix to the issues that have, been, that have existed long before the pandemic. I think folks who have been unaware, unengaged, or even those who have willfully ignored issues because they've never been affected by them are getting a rude awakening into the socioeconomic issues that have existed around them all this time. Emergency subsidies aren't enough. Bailouts for corporations that are unwilling to invest in the future, a green and just future, are no longer acceptable. The pandemic has opened the eyes of many to the flaws and cracks in our systems of governance, in our institutions, in our society. When we come out of this, we have to commit to building better building for the future, and focusing on people and the planet.
We need radical social policies that invest in people. We need to recognize the gaps in our workforce that have become glaringly exposed, recognizing that a minimum wage is not a living wage. We need to fundamentally change how we perceive care work so that our essential frontline workers and the communities they serve will not be overwhelmed by another health crisis. I have hope that leaders, young, old, and new, are taking these conversations seriously and are already starting to do the necessary work. I have hope for a new normal. We cannot go back to the way things were. Now is the time to fundamentally change the way we do things. You've been listening to the Power in the Pandemic podcast. Thank you so much to all of our featured young speakers today, as well as to all of those who helped translate the original audios into English and those who helped record the voiceovers. We couldn't have done this without you. If you want to find out more about the organizations and networks that these young people are linked to, such as Empower Youth for Work Project and Apathy is Boring, check out the links in the podcast description below. You can also find more content and resources on our PowerShifts blog. You can subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Instagram with the handle at PowerShifts Project. We're working on growing our audience and look forward to your inputs and collaborations. Take care, everyone. <laughs>